Our next guest tonight in the Honky Tonk Time Machine is a Grammy winner with 20 singles on the country chart, six of those top five, and then a big number one hit that we're going to get to. His name is John Barry, and his wife, Robin Barry, is with us tonight as well. So we get two for the price of one. I yeah. love that. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show. Good to be with you. So tell us, uh, you know, we're, we're going through a global pandemic right now. What have you two been up to lately? How have you been kind of spending your time while we can't get out and do anything? Well, we were twiddling our thumbs, and we were bored to death trying to figure out what we'd, we'd worked in the yard all we could work. <laughs> and we um, had a friend come visit from Chicago who is a radio personality for many years to talk radio. And, and uh, he's written several books and had a podcast. And after visiting with us for the weekend, he said, you know, you two should have a podcast. And we're like, what? <laughs> and, yeah. um, we all know that I don't talk very much. Uh, I just sing back up and uh, work in the John Barry business world. But you know, don't put me out front. That's always been my thing. Well, uh, I decided to get a couple of microphones in my little studio and set up there at our old kitchen table that's upstairs. And and um, we sat down and started talking and chatting, and, and it ended up coming across with something pretty good. But then we recorded a couple of episodes, and we said, you know, we've kind of talked ourselves out. Why don't we get, a, 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 get some friends to join us? And um, so each week now we have a special guest, and... Uh, this past week, um, we aired uh, a conversation we recorded on July 1st uh, with Charlie Daniels. And, of course, he passed away five days later. And it was a very special conversation. Uh, we've known Charlie for a long time. Uh, I was managed by his management company for five years. And um, it, was a, it was a real special, special time that he shared with us. And the name of the podcast, it's called Faith, Family, and Friends because... You know, there's not really anything more important than those three things, our faith and our family and our friends. And so our objective is really to get our guests to talk about their faith, family, and friends and how it's impacted their career and their personal life. And we have gotten some of the most amazing stories, heartfelt conversations, things that people would not normally hear in, a, in an interview with these folks, and it's really, really been very touching. It's not unlike what we do here w with our show. You know, we try to have a different guest on each week, and I think some of, we've had some of the same guests from, from what I can tell. So it's pretty cool. You mentioned Charlie Daniels. We did a little Charlie Daniels tribute special when he passed away, and the fact that you did that interview – um, and, and you were one of the last people to talk to him. How devastated were you when you heard the news? Because I know you'd worked together in the past, but also what does it feel like to be one of the last people to have that conversation with him? Well, it, it was devastating. Matter of fact, there were some times um, I didn't listen to our interview uh, that we recorded on July 1st until just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when I went to go edit the, the, the podcast. And I kept asking John, I'm like, why is this taking you so long to get through this? Yeah, and I, I said, well, there's times that I just have to pause and walk away. I mean, it's just so emotional to, you know, matter of fact, the very, very, the very opening, because I, I called Charlie on the phone and we recorded the conversation. And, and the very first thing he, he picks up the phone and man, when I heard his voice, it just, I just had to hit the pause button. I had tears rolling down my face and. 
just yeah. man, knowing that I'd never hear that again. Surreal to then just have that on tape and, you know, something that, you, that you'll have forever, though. Yeah, most of the podcasts run about 35 minutes. Uh, this one runs right almost in an hour because we just I, I just cleaned it up. I didn't take anything out. I wanted everybody to hear what Charlie had to say because there will be no more conversations. And it's so. really quite remarkable um, not to give it away because it won't give it away, but in the first 19 minutes of the interview, uh, Charlie mentions being in heaven three times. Oh, wow. It's, it's unbelievable. Wow. He shares his um, faith He openly. shares his faith. There's a tear in his eyes. He lays out the plan of salvation, and, and it just really is a very, very special conversation. So how can folks listen to the podcast? Well, they can subscribe. They can go to johnberry.com, and uh, it's a monthly subscription or an annual subscription. And there's two different levels. One is just the podcast and a, and a monthly email. And uh, the other one... Um, the- it's almost like a, the old-fashioned fan club. Uh, you get all these other things that um, promote JB community and um, give us access to to folks in a way that we've never had access before and gives them free tickets to Faith, Family, and Friends pre-show VIP events and they just get all kinds of stuff um, for the second level. So it makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. We have had some incredible guests. It's not all musicians. We have got politicians, football coaches, athletes. We have got folks from all different walks of life um, as part of this. That's very, very cool. And I love the fact that you make faith a focal point of it. Um, and, and we try not to shy away from that either on this show. We've had Jody Messina and, and Dina Carter and Josh Turner on all talking about their faith because I think it's important to share that with people, share that with the world. Oh, absolutely. We're called to. Exactly right. For those who don't remember, our listeners probably do remember, in 1997, you were actually nominated for CMA Vocal Event of the Year with Charlie Daniels and Hell Ketchum uh, on, a, on another take on Long-Haired Country Boy. So what was it like to, to work with those two and be a part of that? That was a, that was a fun day, I'm telling you. <laughs> we, we, we shot that video on the front porch. Uh, well, we recorded the song at Charlie's studio there uh, uh, at Twin Pines Ranch. And uh, we shot the video on the log cabin front porch of their, they've got an office uh, on the property there. And it was just a perfect setting to shoot that video. And then uh, the main part of the video, then of course we shot uh, footage in the studio as well. It was a great day. Did you come up just kind of idolizing him? Did you become a fan of him a little bit later in your, in your life? What was that oh, no. fanhood like? Uh, Char- when I was in high school, Charlie was all over the radio and, you know, uh, it was a trip when we got to go play the, uh, Charlie Daniels Volunteer Jam because I had heard it was the the the, the concert of legend when I was in high school the, the Volunteer <laughs> Jam you know it was, a, it was quite the deal so it was a real a thrill thrill to be a part of that and and when I got uh, when I was represented by Charlie's management company David Corlew and his team that was just a lot of fun to get to know Charlie and be around them the first time. Uh, John ever met Charlie, he had a huge impact on him. It was, I think, in the early 80s, maybe, mid-80s? It was mid-80s. Let me think. Uh, I was playing. I had won a contest in Charlotte, North Carolina. And somebody from that contest had heard me play, uh, and they asked if I would come with my band and we could play 
about a 45-minute set prior to the Charlotte Motor Speedway uh, 500 race, NASCAR race. And we were, we were there, and um, they, we heard a knock on the door of our van, and we opened the door. It was really, really hot, crazy hot. And um, they said we had a – Charlie Daniels is here, and the RV we had for him – the air conditioner broke. Could he come sit in this cooled off van with y'all till he sings the national anthem? And we were like, come on, you know, we're red boys. But Charlie got in the van and he sat back there and he was so kind to us. And he was no different to us, these little redneck boys from Georgia, that he had no idea who we are. Then the day when I signed with his management company many years later to the other day when we had a conversation on the phone, July 1st, uh, he was just as kind every single time I saw him, and that's just who he was. That is really cool. <laughs> that is so awesome. Um, <laughs> so, so, John and Robin, how, how long have you two been married? 32 years. 32 years. I was hoping you'd get that right. Long enough to finish each other's son. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to sleep on the couch tonight, John. You got it right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, you know, how, how'd you meet? How'd you fall in love? What's that story? Oh, my gosh. It, <laughs> I always let him tell this story, but I guess I was 19, and um, I was a student at the University of Georgia and um, was on a date and went into this little hole-in-the-wall place, and um, you could ha- order dinner, and there was this guy sitting up there uh, singing songs. And <laughs> that's... Yeah, my, it was me and my bass player, Michael, who still plays bass with me. And um, uh, I knew exactly what songs... I, I was smitten when I saw her. She, she was sitting there with the, her friend and her their two dates. And I played all the right songs to bore those boys to death, and they went to the back room to shoot pool. <laughs> And we took a break, and I sat down next to Robin. The first thing I said to her, I said, when are we getting married? Oh, I'm man. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't get a pool cue across the head. Yeah, well, it took about two years before I'd go out with him. My, you know, I thought, my mama would kill me if I went out with a guy <laughs> who made a living sitting on a bar stool playing songs in clubs. And I thought, He's too old for me. Yeah, I mean, there was only six years difference. Yeah, but when you're in college, the difference between nineteen-year-old and twenty-five-year-old. That's a lot of years. Yeah. So, so uh, two years later, I finally went out with him. He drove me crazy for two years, um, and then we we went out, and I uh, went back to college. And he, uh, I came home that Christmas, and I thought, I'm going to tell this guy to leave me alone. He calls me five or six times a day. He sends me flowers every week. <laughs> And I said, he's driving me crazy. So I came home uh, the middle of December on college break, and and he was at my house, and and uh, I was going to tell him, you know, I don't want to go out with you anymore. We saw each other every day for two weeks, and on New Year's Eve, he asked me to marry him. Never said, let's date. Never said, I love you. Never even said, I like you. He <laughs> asked me to marry him and <laughs> offered me a ring, and... Wow, that's a wild story. <laughs> when, when you know what you want, you go and get it, huh, John? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's all. And the fact that you made your very first move when she was on a date, you know, that, that took some guts. <laughs> I, I, was, I was a bold young man. <laughs> or, or foolish young foolish, man. I don't maybe. 
backing up before that, you, you grew up in South Carolina, is that right? Actually, we both did. Robin's from Anderson, South Carolina, okay. and I'm from Aiken, South Carolina. And uh, I moved to my, our family moved to Atlanta, Georgia, when I was eight years old, and I lived most I lived a, a lot of my life there. And then when I was 24, uh, I moved to Athens. I got a gig playing up there, and I ended up playing in that playing clubs there for eight years before I got my record deal. Really long enough that he should like have a PhD or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and is that where you're still at? Are you still in Athens? No, we live uh, uh, just north of Nashville now. Okay. Um, while we're doing our business and uh, we love Athens and that area. Who knows? We might end up back there someday. So, well, uh, the reason I ask, you know, kind of about your background and upbringing is, is that um, I had heard that you're a big fan of John Denver. So I wanted to kind of get an idea of some of the other musicians you idolize coming up. Yeah. I love John Denver and stylistically very similar, but I I loved Cat Stevens and Harry Chapin uh, Jim Croce, and then I discovered, of course, the Eagles came out around that same time and had great music, and then Fleetwood Mac followed, and uh, Doobie Brothers, and you know, some of that Southern rock stuff was cranking up with the Allman Brothers and Skinner, and, and I had a pretty wide range of music that I listened to, and I even had a Barry Manilow song, I think, on my Oh, on my. my. <laughs> I would not have thought that. <laughs> a little bit of everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just a uh, just a mix of all sorts of crazy stuff. So when this show airs, you know, I'm going to feature most of your music, but we're going to sprinkle some other stuff in there too. So I, I want to drop in some John Denver. So if you had to pick what John Denver song I would play, what would you recommend? That's a Annie song. That's a real impactful song. For yeah. Me. Great I play song. that one still quite a bit. Great And we choice. play that one live and it's a lot of fun. Um, we, we do some really cool three-part harmonies and big acoustic guitars and People just always have a great reaction to that song. John, I understand you were in a motorcycle accident pretty early on, age 21. Um, and I, I hesitate to say blessing in disguise because I'm, I would imagine it was a pretty traumatic experience. But if there was some good that came out of it, is the fact that you were able to really kind of master the guitar during your recovery period, right? Well, I don't know if master would be the term. <laughs> But I did I did end up making a living playing guitar because of that motorcycle wreck. I, I broke both my femurs and my left hip, and I couldn't go back to the assembly plant I was working at at the time. Couldn't walk around and do that kind of work. And But I could sit on a, a stool and play the guitar, and that's, that's about all I've done since. Was it during that time that you decided that you might want to try to make a run at this and move to Nashville? And if not, when did that time uh-huh. come? I didn't, we didn't, I didn't come to Nashville for years and years and years. I mean, I we didn't start really coming to Nashville until 1992. Okay. Yeah, yeah. all because of the Joe Diffie song. Yeah, Ships That Don't Come In, that song inspired me to, you know, I, I was making a really good living and provided for, for us. Uh, we held, uh, gosh, by the time we left that piece of land, we had 150 acres, built this little house and barn and office, and it, it, it but I heard this Joe Dippy song one night. It was a brand new song by Joe, and I was, uh, got got home and woke Robin up. And I said, "I heard this song by Joe," and it just made me realize that I had dreamed bigger than just being a big fish in a little pond of Athens, Georgia. And um, we stayed up all night, came up with a plan to go to Nashville and do in, do an industry showcase once every six weeks, and do that for a year. See if we could garner any attention, and if we could, great. If we couldn't, we'd punt. 
And um, we, went, we went up and did our first industry showcase in May of 1992 and ended up meeting uh, a guy named Herky Williams, who introduced me to Jimmy Bowen, who ran Capitol Records, came up, did a private showcase for Mr. Bowen, and got a record deal. Instead of doing an industry showcase once every six weeks for a year, we did one. I think nine was, people were there. Yeah. It was really, we were <laughs> sorely disappointed, but... But yeah. God knew, and he put the right person there at the right time. and The person that needed to be there yeah. was there. Absolutely. Ships That Don't Come In is another great song. I'm going to write that one down and play that one, too. Um, yeah. You know, Joe's another one who, not long before Charlie, uh, Joe passed away unexpectedly. Um, I would imagine. And Kenny Rogers. And, and Kenny, Kenny Rogers. Just, John, oh, gosh. John Prine. It's, it's been a rough year for that. Yeah. yeah. Mac Davis here yeah. here recently and Helen Reddy too. Did you get to meet Joe and, and have any type of relationship with him after having that song inspire you to get to Nashville? Um, I actually had the opportunity last year. We played the Opry at the same time and the same night. And I had an opportunity to chat with him and tell him the story of hearing that song and what an impact. Uh, it was a career. It was a life changing um uh, opportunity that was presented that from hearing that song and it was just very inspiring and he was really moved and gave me a big hug and you know (laughs) yeah i I would imagine as an artist that might be the biggest compliment you could get that your music inspired somebody to do something huge in their lives and i would bet that you've had people come to you with similar stories maybe not inspired me to move to nashville but uh, your song touched my life in some way i mean you've had some Huge, impactful hits. Uh, have you been able to experience that yourself as an artist? Well, we just experienced it Sunday night. Okay. We played We played at a church uh, in Monroe, Georgia. And uh, after, after the concert was after, over, this guy he, he, came he, up he on the stage. And, and grabbed the microphone. He said, y'all, I need to tell y'all something. And everybody stopped. And he said, years ago, he said, I was not... Uh, in a good place with my relationship with my wife and, and, um, just how he was going to be leaving. And he heard this song that I recorded with Winona, with Winona Judd called we can't unmake love. Hmm. It talks about the little girl that's upstairs, you know, and, um, we, uh, uh, that song inspired him to figure out how to make things right for her. And because he said, if I hadn't heard that song, my daughter would have grown up without a daddy. He said, I was out of there. And wow. now he's welcomed his first grandchild. And he, he was just so grateful. And uh, he just wanted folks to know how impactful. Uh, he said, I, I don't know if John's got a song that's impacted you the way it has me, but just wanted to let you folks know this man's got music that has changed my life. Pretty impactful moment right there. What a title and what a what an idea for a song. We can't unmake love. So you mentioned you get to Nashville in, in 1992. 1993 rolls around and you get your first two singles out on the radio. You hadn't had the big one yet. That that comes later. But your first two, you know, did pretty well. Um, Kiss Me in the Car was top 25. Mind of Her Own was uh, top 40. What was that time like when you kind of get your first little taste of success right there in 1993? It was exciting. It was, it was a lot of fun. You know, we were still... Um... I think at that point we were still playing club in Athens and just having a lot of fun with that. And still living in Athens. Yeah, still lived in Athens. We lived in Athens till 1999. And um, 
but it was it was exciting, and uh, we were starting to make plans to go on the road and starting yeah. getting that all together. And it was it was getting getting uh, after years of dreaming about it, it was starting to turn into a reality. It was pretty nice. And then the big one, your love amazes me. Uh, number one hit. I would say it's the biggest hit of your career. Would would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so that's one of those career songs. How did that song land in your hands, and, and what did you think when you first heard it, John? Well, uh, a guy named Chuck Jones uh, was writing for Great Cumberland Music in Nashville, who I, um, I worked with, uh, a guy who ran that, uh, Chuck uh, Chuck Howard. And um, Chuck, Chuck Howard was producing the record, and, and Chuck Jones was a writer there. And so he was introducing me to some of Chuck's music, and I had a demo uh, tape at that time of Chuck's songs. And I ended up, half the songs on my debut album uh, with Capitol were written by Chuck. And he he's just a tremendous writer. And uh, the first time I heard it, I said, I'll take that one. And they said, well, can't have that one. Tanya Tucker's putting it on her next record. Hmm. And I said, well, if something happens and she doesn't use it, I want to be first in line and she ended up turning her record in completed and, and uh, I was able to record that. And it was her, your love amazes me was not on her completed record. And uh, so she didn't use it. So it, it fell to me. So I'm grateful. <laughs> well, that's amazing how that works out. And, and doing these interviews, I, I find there are a lot of stories like that where a certain artist passes on a song and it goes to somebody else. And, you know, it's like a, a what could have been moment. Um, it's very interesting how that all works out. It's like you said, though, it's, it, God has that plan for you. Yeah, certain songs fit. They find their way to who's supposed to sing them. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what album I was working on, but uh, we were in the studio, and I recorded a song, and and we all just looked at each other and went, no, nah, that's just not me. That's a girl song. And then Faith Hill had a hit with the song Breathe. Just Breathe. Oh, yeah. that could have been yours. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, so the guy singing it just didn't work. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's true. I think it would have been a little, a little strange. But wow, I had no idea. <laughs> Robin, what was that like for you? You know, as the wife of John, as as now he is kind of at at that pinnacle of success right there with now a, a number one hit out on country radio. What was that time like for you? Uh, well, actually, it was awful. Really? Uh, just, yeah. Um. I was on the road with John singing back up and my mom and um, we had our daughter on the road. Uh, she was probably about three and a half. And I was also pregnant with our um, son, with our second child. And um, John just started to get really bizarre. Um, a lot of people don't know this story. Um, he just started to get really weird and um, he mean, very mean. And uh, he decided that I didn't need to be out there anymore with him and that um, we needed to go home, and he didn't like me very much. So he sent me and my mom and Taylor Marie home. And as you can imagine, most women, um, you can imagine when you're pregnant, that is a very traumatic experience. So I uh, was home for several months. I wouldn't hear from him, didn't talk to him. Your love amazes me was screaming up the charts. Um, I felt very abandoned, and uh, it was truly one of the most awful times and, and most wonderful times. I just dug into my Bible, 
Um, I yelled a lot at God trying to make sense of it all. But uh, God gave me my life first from James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And uh, that word joy comes not from happiness, but joy comes from knowing the peace that we can get through Jesus. And through that time, that horrible, horrible time, God gave me peace. He told me that everything was going to be okay. And uh, so the day I had the baby, I called John. I was I knew that, that Sean was probably going to arrive that day. I called. I got a hold of his uh, management. I said, you need to have John call me. And um, he, he called, and I said, I'm pretty sure the baby's going to arrive today. You're going to need to get home for this. And he said, well, why don't you just call me and let me know that everything's okay? Mm. <laughs> that was real sweet. <laughs> that didn't go well. <laughs> that didn't go very well. Um, so anyway, I, I did um, deliver Sean that day, and, and John got in there probably four or five hours after Sean was born, and uh, that's kind of when the whole thing started happening. They found John on the floor outside the nursery. Um, a nurse came up, and um, that's when they discovered that he had a cyst in the middle of his brain that was blocking the spinal cord, the fluid, uh, the fluid the going down the spinal cord and mm-hmm. kind of creating a, um, just a lot of pressure, and, and um, it, it was had made him mean and changed him. And, you know, immediately within 10 days, he was at Emory in Atlanta having brain surgery on the same day that Your Love Amazes Me went to number one. So it was a very hard time for me, a very um, – a, a time of growth and uh, maturing in my faith with the Lord. Um, but I knew when John woke up from surgery some 24 hours later, he looked at me in the eyes and, and he was back to being my John and wow. um, just getting all of that pressure off the brain. And fortunately, he doesn't remember it all. He doesn't remember how mean he was and how unkind he was. And, and I guess that's kind of a blessing in disguise for him. I get to just like leave the memory fine <laughs> and not, and just move on to a better life. <laughs> you didn't really get to celebrate the, the number one, uh, the day it goes number one, you guys are in the hospital, huh? In the yeah. hospital. Yeah. He's there for another week or so. I actually took the chart. I had it blown up. Uh, he kept asking me, you know, it was a big thing when that chart came out. Um, on those days, yeah, it's a big thing. thing every Monday. Yeah. How'd I do on the chart? How'd I do on the chart? So I took the chart, I blew it up. I highlighted it with a yellow marker. And, um, I just kept reminding him, I put it right there by his bed that, Hey baby, you got your first number one. And so <laughs> it really was celebratory, um, and good. But the real story is what, you know, how God used Robin and, and changed changed my, of course, changed me physically with the surgery, but her, the strength God gave her to go from being basically abandoned and during that last trimester of her pregnancy um, to being my nurse, you know, and yeah. taking care of me while taking care of a new baby and a little girl. So she's a strong woman. That is That is amazing, Robin. My hat is off to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> from there uh the the career is going pretty good there john i mean you had like 
was it four or five more top five singles in a row right after that and I want to start with uh, with what's in it for me, which is the uh, the follow up single. Well, that's a song written by Gary Burr, and for I think on all those re- early records, um, all the Capitol records and even the Lyric Street record, I had a Gary Burr song on every one. I think hmm. um, he's a great writer, and uh, that song was just up tempos for me are kind of hard to find, and uh, but Gary's got a gift of writing and with with the right kind of message, up-tempo songs with the right kind of message for me. Oh, and it has the coolest twin guitar solo in it. Oh, yeah, sure does. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, the next one then, and this would have been the last release from that debut album, which the debut album I absolutely love, uh, but uh, You and Only You. You and Only You was uh, written by Chuck Jones and J.D. Martin. And, uh, of course, Chuck, being the writer of Your Love Amazes Me, it's just a Power, one of my favorite mel- melodies to sing. And the song did really, really well. And it was coming and it was still living on radio when we got to the release of the album Standing on the Edge. So Jimmy Bowen, the president of the Capitol, included that song on that album as well. You know, night after night, um, anybody asks me what's my favorite song that John sings, that is hand down, hands down just my favorite. I mean, there's so much passion in it. And the video that actually we did that came out on CNT um, was one of the first live audio videos that came out. Um, there, there was, it wasn't just a video. It was actually all live audio. And that was really yeah. cool. Yeah. We shot that. We were on the Reba McIntyre's show at, uh, we were on the road, the show, yeah, the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we shot it at TPAC. Yeah. And Nashville, and, and it was part of Reba's. We were there on the show with Reba. But anyway, it, it was. It was live. I forgot all about yeah, that. Yeah, live audio. And uh, live audio and live video. You see that from time to time, but are, are you saying that was kind of one of the first instances of that back in yeah, no, 90, mid-90s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. other than, you know. Back in the 90s, there weren't a lot yeah. of live videos yeah. appearing on CMT. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. So, Standing on the Edge was your next album, like you said, and then my favorite song off of that album was the lead single, Standing on the Edge of Goodbye. What can you tell me about that one, John? That's a song I wrote that was just inspired by a conversation I had with a friend of mine who he just, you know, was pouring out his heart, and he said uh, he had been having troubles in his marriage, and he said, I just feel like she's standing on the edge of the driveway looking for somewhere else to go, and I'm like, man, (laughs) that sounds like a song to me. (laughs) And I wrote the chorus, and I had the chorus forever. And um, Chuck Howard, my gal's producing my records at the time, heard it. He said, you know what? You need to finish that. And you need to get together with Stuart Harris, who wrote No One Else on Earth for Winona. Okay. And help you finish that song. And I got together with him, and two hours later, we were done. And uh, that was pretty cool. Tell me about, I think about it all the time. Uh, once again, a fun up-tempo song, which, like I said before, it's hard for me to find those. Um, but it's just one that really, it just spoke to me, and and I love playing it even still now. You know, 20-something years later, it's just one of those songs I look forward to playing, and we've closed the show with it for years. And uh, It's rocking. It's rocking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was going to say, and I would imagine all these songs I've mentioned are probably still a part of your live show, right? Yeah, I think that's one of the best pieces of advice I got from Chuck Howard um, when we were working together on the first album. He said, always choose songs that you love to sing. 
don't choose songs because the record label wants you to do it. Or he said, make sure you love it because you got to sing it. Right. And you, you know, he said the one time you choose, you do a song that the label wants you to do because they think it'll be a hit and you hate it, but you do it anyway. It'll be a monster and you'll be stuck singing that the rest of your life. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because Leroy Parnell came on my show. I think he came on your podcast as well, didn't he? No, he was part of our Story yeah. series. Yeah. The reason I bring him up is because he, he mentioned something very similar to me about a song that he recorded because the label wanted him to, but he doesn't include it in his live show, even though it was a hit, because he just never really connected with it, didn't really like it. So it, you guys said almost the exact same thing right there. How about that? <laughs> do, you, do you remember what song it was? It was A Little Bit of You, which was a pretty big hit for him. I think it was like a number two and a song that I actually like. Well, that song here is On the Road. I love that song. Yeah, yeah. We talked a lot about that one, too. It's one of my favorites. As far as my favorite song of yours, though, John, I'd have to say She's Taking a Shine. Um, oh, come I, on. I love, <laughs> I love Your Love Amazes Me, but I was a kid when all these songs came out, and for some reason... She's Taking a Shine just resonates with me as, as my favorite song of yours. I love that song. What can you tell me about that one? Well, uh, that was written by... He's a dentist. Well, one guy was a dentist. I can't remember his name. Okay, can't either. And the other, the other guy who co-wrote it with is a backup singer on a lot, on a lot of my records, Greg Barnhill. Oh, that's right. And yeah. Greg was the male harmony voice with me on, on the, uh, my first debut album. And maybe into the next one, and then on uh, on faces, um, uh, we included that song, and he was one of the writers. So it was really cool to have him there, not only singing backup, but singing a backup on a song that he wrote. And yeah. that was pretty and cool. And once again, it's just such a it's an up tempo song that has a good, happy, positive feel to it. And um, so night after night, of course, that's one that's always on the set list. And just the content of the song, the girl that constantly gets overlooked until she falls in love and it it, it kind of changes everything about her. It, it makes her a brand new person. And now people are starting to take notice, you know, now that now that yeah. she's a little happier. I, I, I love it. Love the content. Yes. Yeah, so just how the power of love will change somebody from the inside out. No doubt about it. So. If we had time, I would go through every single one of your songs and talk about them, but uh, we don't, unfortunately, have time for that. But is there any song that I didn't touch on or mention that, that you feel like needs mentioned um, or, or has a story behind it that you wanted to let us know about? I had an EP come out last year called Thomas Road. Yeah. And uh, there's a song on there called The Richest Man that um, I wrote with uh, a couple of friends and uh, was inspired by my dad. Uh, by his life and because my dad taught me and my brother and my sister a lot of things about life and was always talking about things that were important in life and it never had anything to do with money and my father was not a wealthy man he was actually very on the poor side of life and financially and um, but he knew what was important in life and it like I said it seldom had anything to do with money and uh, had to do with friends and family and faith, and and uh, that's, those are the things that were valuable. I actually just listened to that this morning as I was getting ready for this interview, and I got to say, I loved it. It's it's really really good. Thank you. And, and yeah, the the EP is called uh, Thomas Road, and, and was there six songs on there? I think that's correct. I think six. Yeah. So it, that's your latest project. I also didn't want to let you go without talking about this Christmas. You actually do a Christmas tour every single year. 
This is your 24th year of it. And you'll be coming to Branson with Rhonda Vincent. Your show dates with Rhonda are November 19th through the 22nd. We're excited to see you in Branson. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about being there and uh, being a part of uh, Rhonda's show. Um, they're giving me about a 30-minute sit. So I'm going to do a, a few Christmas songs and uh, some of the big hits. And and uh, it'll be quick. It'll be a quick 30 minutes. But yeah. it'll be a lot of fun to, to be there with her. She's a a real joy to be around and she's a special person and good friend. And, and, um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I've, I've heard I've played in Branson, but I don't recall. I remember it was, it was a post brain surgery time, I guess. I don't really remember all that. <laughs> I remember us being in Branson. We had the kids with us and, um, I don't remember which theater we played, but I remember being there for a couple of nights and yeah. we just enjoyed our time there. It was very laid back and, um, beautiful, and we had a good time. It's tough to remember the theater names because they change all the time anyway, but one thing that sticks out about Branson, especially around Christmas time, is it, it's beautiful. It, it's lit up. It, it really brings you into that that Christmas spirit. And, uh, John, your your Christmas music is awesome. What's your favorite Christmas song? Oh, Holy Night. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love singing that song. Awesome. That's a piece of music. Yeah, beautiful. I'm amazed um, when we – there's so many people, they – they recognized the song, John's version of Oh Holy Night, before they would Standing on the Edge, or I think about it all the time. They, A lot of people put Oh Holy Night synonymous with John Barry, and that's, that's really that's pretty special. Cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Is that your favorite too, Robin, or do you have a different one? You know, I, I have, uh, I love Oh Holy Night, um, but I, I, you know, I love our version of Oh Come All You Faithful. Oh, yeah. I just want to. Stand up and just, I don't know, it's just happy and joyful and makes me feel good. And, yeah, I love Christmas. And going back to Rhonda, she's a, she's a Missouri girl as well. Um, it, it, we love her here. Have you been able to work with her before or will this be your first time? We've done a couple of things together over the years. Not a lot, but um, we had her on our, our Songs and Stories TV series. Yeah. And uh, that was, it was terrific to have her on that. And, um She's just so talented, you know. She is She's so really talented. Sweet person. I'll have to go and check that out with Rhonda. Songs and Stories. So tell me more about that. Songs and Stories um, is actually a two seasons of a TV show where uh, it's like 30 minutes, and it was on Heartland Network, and actually it's um, getting ready to be re-aired on another network. But then during quarantine, I mean, literally, we were twiddling our thumbs and um, had our first grandchild born and um john's like man you know i'd like to read her stories yeah so we uh videotaped uh what well, we, you know, we we not videotaped but we shot we little air. footage uh, yeah. of, of you know singing some little songs children's songs and and reading um little children's stories and it turned into this little 15 minute thing that Called we would songs do. and stories for kids with papa bear and we do it every sunday <laughs> night <laughs> We did that up, uh, I guess, uh, through in, through September. We did it. Yeah. Now September. it's just going to come out, um, just sort of at holidays and special times. But uh, it it was a, quite an eye opening thing for us to undertake. We're not real tech savvy, so yeah. So um, learn how to. Robin took on the, the, the she was the producer and the editor <laughs> and the, oh gosh. Yeah. So learning how to edit video and put it all together and. That's a lot of fun, and, and uh, now it's there for kids to go and watch yeah. it. 
on John's um, YouTube channel at John Berry Music, and I was talking to a friend of mine who's a school teacher in Georgia, and she said, you know what? She said, my friends use those stories in their classrooms when they're covering a specific book or topic, and I thought, oh, that is so cool. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking to you guys this morning. Um, I've had fun. Hopefully you have, too. Um, for people who want to pick up your, your latest album, Thomas Road, um, what's the what's the best way to do so? Is, is just go wherever you download music. Is that the best way to do it these days? Look, of course, I can do that. Or they can go to johnberry.com. And get a and, hard copy. Get, you get a physical copy, and uh, Rob will print the label, and I'll box it up <laughs> in the garage, and we'll send it to you. And then, you know, and then it's on all the, um, all the, the normal Spotify, um, Amazon, and all of those those places as well. But the podcast is Faith, Family, and Friends is also available through johnberry.com. And johnberry.com is kind of the mainstay. You can okay. go there to find out anything and more information than you want to know about John Berry. Well, we can't wait to see you in Branson this Christmas. I sure appreciate your time. Anything else you'd like to add or anything I might have missed before we let you go, John and Robin? Well, we're just looking forward to being there and uh, looking at We appreciate Rhonda inviting us to be a part of the show and uh, really can't wait to be in Branson. That's right.